already there. We'll make do. Good morning. As been mentioned already, my name is Sherman Bradley. I'm blessed to have, as you have, witnessed my wife, Sadell Bradley. I also bring you greetings from City Gospel Mission and gratitude for many of your services, uh, your resources, your finances. Uh, there's so many folk I could name from here who've come and assisted us in the work that we do down and over the Rhine in the heart of downtown Cincinnati. I don't have much time, and any time a preacher does not have much time, that's not a good sign. We tend to like to go longer than we can. Unconditional love is hard work. You all have begun to take a look at one of the most challenging aspects of American society today, and I believe that's the issues of class and race and even sexism. But here it is, you're about to make some challenging decisions for change. I'm not unfamiliar with College Hill. My grandmother lived not far from here on Toluca Court, which is just right off of North, Born, North Bend. My aunt still lives today where I was babysat as a young child on Argus Road. And we used to walk by here when I was in elementary school, in junior high, to go over to the park right across the street, over by Aiken High School. And Pastor Pat Harsock actually was our marital counselor. And just in recent years, I, I got to meet Dr. Jerry Kirk for the first time, who I believe pastored here years ago. Is that correct? For quite some time. So I also found out that Pastor Jerry Kirk was very good friends with my late uncle, who pastored the church I grew up in, in Walnut Hills. His name was Edward Orlando Thomas. He died of a heart attack uh, at a Frisch's one evening. But he and Dr. Jerry Kirk, along with um, Pastor Clyde Miller and a few others, were very instrumental in helping bring Billy Graham here back in the 70s, for those of you that remember. And I've only found out in recent years just how instrumental my uncle was to civil rights movements and his passion and desire to see equity, equality, justice, but also uh, inclusion, inclusion in the body of Christ. So it's no coincidence, my mother says, the path that has been laid for me that I came in kicking and screaming. This particular subject matter in and of itself is not one that's easy to tackle. It's one that's very personal for me. While Galatians 3, 27 and 28 says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for we are all one in Christ Jesus. We are all one in the sight of God Almighty himself. However, that's not all of our experiences in society today. We have found ourselves struggling with worth, with value, with acceptance into the culture that we live in. Sometimes it's race, sometimes it's class, sometimes it's sexism. But there's been struggle. My father divorced my mother when I was around 11 or 12 years of age. Less than a year and a half later, he would then remarry a woman, a Caucasian woman, who had a daughter one year younger, well, a year and a half younger than myself, one grade below me, who hated black people. I'm 
12, 13, she's a year and a half younger, doesn't know me, only just met me, but hates black people. This is what she was taught. It was a learned behavior. And she knew no better. But imagine every day in your home, in your household, being faced with not being liked simply by the color of your skin. Then imagine having to decide, oftentimes subconsciously at that age, what does that mean about me? How am I supposed to see myself? How does the larger society see me? And when I find certain correlations and certain respects and other aspects of community, it begins to produce wounds. Unfortunately, those wounds for me would produce prejudice. I began to take on a root of bitterness. I could not understand, did not know why, had not done anything, but yet here it was, I was unliked. This would challenge how I saw the world. Now, I was equally fortunate because both of my parents never raised me that way. Needless to say, my father married a white woman, so that couldn't have been his perspective. But I was fortunate to go into the United States Air Force right out of high school, most of it in Europe for six years, where I got to see race and culture and class with new eyes, with a new lens. And I saw acceptance on a different level. I even saw racism on a different level. I saw Italians not liking the French and the English not liking the Irish and the Catholics not liking the Protestants and so on and so forth. But it also taught me that I could be me and be okay with me. However, at this time, I was not a Christian. And so it wouldn't be until coming back to the United States and having discussions with my mother who was constantly telling me Jesus was and is the only way. And so coming full circle and accepting Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior in my life, I then had to take a look at this thing called love, this unconditional love that was merited out to me by grace, through faith, nothing I could do to earn it, nothing I did that would be worthy of earning it. And now I'm faced with having to look at love from God's perspective. The first two commandments... Probably one of the earlier scriptures we learn as young Christians. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy mind, all thy soul, all thy strength, and love thy neighbor as thyself. Upon these two do all the laws hang. If you can't do these two, then don't lay out the list of the others. Without love, we are nothing, we're told. God he is love. His essence is love. His nature is love. He's not just loving in his actions. He is love. And if we are to take on God, we have to exemplify love for one another. But the first thing I had to come to realization with, I wasn't loving me. Be it external issues of experiences throughout life or just how I chose to see myself. And the old weight, the baggage that I had to leave behind well, some of that baggage had to do with racism in my heart. Justified by the experiences that I had. 
And psychologically, it was, it was a little crazy because I really could not stand white males. But I have two daughters who are both biracial. I found myself subconsciously attempting to regain a love I did not get in childhood through women I would engage with as an adult. Here it is now. I'm saying, Jesus, I love you. Come into my heart. I want to live for you. I'll die for you. Change my life. Change my ways. But yet here it is, I have this bitterness in me that I'm struggling with. How do I release? How do I let go? I still see the faces. I still experience the racism today. If I go into, and I have went into, a department store with my hoodie on, my sweatsuit, and I know when I'm being followed around the store. My father came to me. My father's not saved. And my father's 67 years of age. And we had a conversation just last week about it. He was in a department store in a suit. And this woman across the register, Caucasian woman, assumed he was a preacher. Because <laughs> he wore a hand on a suit. And he's like, you know how many times, if I had a dollar for every time that has happened to me over the course of my life, what, do, what are people thinking? Why, why is a black man well-dressed can only be a preacher in life? And here it is, we face this every day. And all of us, if we look back over our lives, I guarantee you we have an experience of some kind where we have wounds relationally, oftentimes dealing with culture and race. But here it is, coming full circle and desiring to live for Christ, to live as Christ, to be the embodiment of Christ in the earth, to be the salt of the earth, to be a light, we have to then understand the perfected, Love that God exhibited for us. So I found myself having to look in the mirror. By this time, I'm a preacher. And I'm still peeling back the wounds, not really coming to the core yet. And I'm now employed by City Gospel Mission. And I'm now being asked to go out into this very community that I've tried to run from and actually leave and move somewhere else because I've not particularly desired to live here, lived everywhere. Elsewhere, saw life a little differently than what happens here in Cincinnati, but God would not allow it. So I find myself sitting in my office with my boss, who is a Caucasian male, having to finally admit, you know what? I have an issue in my heart, and I need to share it with somebody. It's literally killing me, slowly. I don't trust white men, I told him. And he's shocked. Because I can hide it well. I can put on the facade and the mask. I've been taught how to communicate in a way where I'm not offensive. But that deep, deep, dark secret within, as I desire to be all that Christ desires for me to become, I can no longer live with. And you know, and he sat there, he said, you know, <laughs> while I'm surprised and I appreciate your honesty, you know what? I understand. And he laid out a couple scenarios where he had been hurt by African-American males. And so here it is, we're pouring our heart out to one another and finally coming to a place of being able to lay this before the altar and be honest with someone. And we said, you know what? We're going to hold one another accountable. We've got to change 
We've got to change so we can be advocates for change. We can't be genuine in the roles that we play if we've not yet opened our hearts to this thing called unconditional love. Oh, it's hard work. It's hard work. Because then I was challenged after I felt good coming out of that, felt some sense of freedom and peace. God says, now go join the Rotary Club. I'm like, God, I don't want to join the Rotary Club. They don't look like me. They don't want me. I don't know anything about the Rotary Club. He said, but there are people there that need to see your witness. There are people there who need to see you stepping out of your comfort zone, going the extra mile, embracing the hatred, the animosity, or the subtleties. Just the per- what, what's, what's the term you used recently? The permissive uh, uh, racism? Uh, passive. There's the word I was looking for. That's why I need you. The passive racism where we just turn away. We're numb to it any longer. It's so prevalent or it's so painful. We choose to suppress it and look the other way. But after I confessed, after I found someone to hold me accountable, then I had to step out of my comfort zone and connect with folk and show some of them that they could trust an African-American male. That just because I have a ponytail and an earring doesn't make me uncivilized. Although my mother still wishes I would take the earring out. Just take it out when you preach. What, the hole's still there, Mom? But here it is. Confession. Being honest with myself. Realizing I'm not yet measured up to the love that God gave out to me. And now, if I'm responsible for giving it away, I've got to first have it for me. And loving me was being honest with myself to say, I've sinned, I've wronged, I've got to make a change, and I'm going to stand for the gospel, the good news, the message that others need to see. African Americans need to see it. And my Caucasian brothers that I would now befriend, some of them not even Christians, that are now my friends in Rotary that I know would go the extra mile, that I know I could pick up the phone and ask a favor of, and they'd be there for me because of the love of Christ, genuinely and honestly, that I'm showing for them despite the walls, despite the barriers. It was not easy. There are some that are still wondering who I am and why I am there. God is challenging you all to look deeper in the depths of your own heart and to look at what's hidden there, dark. Justified by experiences, and the experiences are real, don't want to minimize them whatsoever. But He's calling us to a higher place. He already knows the secret. He's asking us to lay it down. He's asking us to engage to be relational, to seek friendship, to be empathetic, to be warm. He's asking us, are we willing 
to sacrifice for him as he sacrificed for us. Jesus in John chapter 17, while he's praying for the disciples and before he goes off to Gethsemane, before he goes to give the ultimate sacrifice, to lay down his life for us, that we might have the gift of eternal life. He has this declaration, this call, this cry out to us. Verse 20, chapter 17. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. They, that, that they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. He's saying here, his final petition is that Jesus prayed for the unity of believers and in subsequent generations. What example are we living What example are we passing down? The oneness he requested was a spiritual unity which will be visibly manifested in the life of the church and will bear witness of his divine mission. The church's unity will reach its full consummation in heaven. But right now, it should be manifested in the earth. In here. On Sunday. In our hearts. Monday through Saturday, in every aspect of our life, we are united. We, as the body of Christ, are united by faith. We don't do this of our own strength or might. We do this through the power of the Holy Spirit and through the witness of Jesus' life before us, where he was no respect of persons. He went, he treaded, where they said he should not, where they thought he should have feared, to a people who were downtrodden, left by the wayside, thought as undesirable, unworthy. It is the responsibility of every believer to choose to participate in this unity by loving other members of the body of Christ. By loving one another. And if we would take this, pray this in confidence, with compassion, as a body collectively together, I believe God will not only change your heart, but you'll be effective in changing the hearts of those around you. And this will begin to look like heaven on the earth. This community will be impacted. And if this community is impacted, then this city will be impacted. If not the church, then who? If not now, then when? Now faith. Now faith. As Sadell comes, While we didn't know this, and you've sung this song last week, I want you to hear it again with new ears. 
I want you to participate in it as she sings it with a new heart. One that's willing to not only commit, but allow yourself to be stretched out of your comfort zone. And when your heart is open, God will speak to you as to what that is for you. What that is in relationship to here at College Hill Presbyterian and what that is in relationship to your everyday life. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. We are more than conquerors. Thank you.